Well, good morning. I'll grab your attention back for a moment. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, welcome to King's. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here. Um, and um, this morning, we're kind of, we're starting a new little series this morning, a little teaching series we're going to be looking at over the next few Sundays, which we've called kind of God Cares. Uh, and we believe that God cares about uh, what's happening in that, our world, whether that's kind of in the natural environment or the political environment, whether that's kind of local issues or global issues, whether that's kind of social relationships or intimate relationships. God cares about all sorts of things. He cares about the poor. He cares about the immigrant. He cares about justice. And, and you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what God cares about. And over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking and highlighting it, some of the things that God cares about. Um, and so next week, um, Kieran and Lucy Dunn are going to speak. Whee! Yeah, that shout-out was for Lucy, wasn't it? So uh, Lucy Dunn's going to speak, uh, so which we're really excited about. They're going to talk about God's care for the environment and, uh, and our response as Christians to things such as climate change. Uh, it's going to be a great one, and I want to encourage you to get here because we've got a gift that we're going to give every single person. And I'm not talking some sort of like little you know, rubbishy token gift. We have gone all out. We've invested some church money. Someone's donated us some money specifically for this. So we're going to give you all a gift next week, and you'll want to be here. I've got nothing for you this morning. I'm sorry, but next week. So come along to that. And then as the video show, we've got Julia Immerman coming um, a couple of weeks' time. She's going to talk about um, God's care for justice. And then Jim kind of like he threw the short straw uh, in a few weeks' time. He's going to talk about the fact that God cares about politics. Uh, particularly our attitude towards things such as Brexit. So he's taking one for the team, and um, so we're looking forward to that one already. And you're looking forward to that as well, aren't you? I oh, know, it's going to be great. Um, and so, but this morning, Jim asked, you know, can you just kick the series off this morning? And, and I was praying last week about, you know, you know, what I share this morning, because to be honest, it's, it's, it's such a big topic, and I was stumbling around, you know, trying to work out, you know, where do you start in tr trying to convey something about God's care? And then and la last Sunday, I'm walking down a church, to, uh, and I'm walking along, and I'm talking to God, and, um, you know, because you can do that, you can pray wherever you want, you know, walking along the road. You don't have to assume the position quietly in a room. You can talk to God anytime as you're walking. And so I'm going along the road talking to God, and I'm saying, God, I really need your help because uh, it's such a big topic. I'm excited about the things that we're going to talk about, but I don't really know like, where to start. Uh, um, and unfortunately, there wasn't this kind of <clears throat> booming voice of God saying, Tim, I want you to start here. But this kind of phrase popped into my head. And this phrase was uh, handcrafted, not factory produced. I'm thinking, well, that's a bit weird. I don't really know what that has got to do about anything. You know, if you're trying to speak to me, God, you're going to have to be a little bit clearer than that. And so I get down to church, and we have a great time. Jim speaks last week about uh, encouraging one another. It was brilliant. It was just awesome, you know. Uh, and, uh, and then after the preach, we're having coffee, and I kind of like went and chatted to Rob King, a friend of mine that I haven't really caught up with since before the summer holidays. And I kind of said to Rob, you know, you had a good time. What have you been up to? Um, and he said something that I wasn't really expecting. He said that over the summer, uh, he had been making a river coffee table. 
And I was intrigued because I, never, I don't know what a river coffee table is. And so Rob got out his phone and he started showing me some pictures. And he said, I found a bit of wood. You know, I looked for a long time for a bit of wood. Uh, and, and I found just the right one <clears throat> online. And, and so I ordered it. And, and when it came through, I kind of sanded it down and stuff. Uh, and then, um, <clears throat> and then I, I cut it down the middle. And I, I flipped over the two sides. Um, and, and I put a kind of frame around these two sides. And then what I did is I kind of like the jaggedy bits that are in the middle, I kind of filled the gap with this kind of liquid that I had kind of mixed with this kind of colored resin. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And, uh, and then when the resin went hard, it kind of bonded the two edges of, uh, were together like that. It looks great. And then he said, and then what I did next is I started making the frame. Uh, and I, I, I made it out of oak, uh, and I put the frame together, and I started building it like that. Um, and, uh, and anyway, so after that, you know, this is kind of the end product of what I've made. Uh, yeah, yeah, what a Rob. And I just, uh, my reaction was like yours. I just said, wow, Rob, that is, I mean, that's just stunning. I've got it here, actually. I've been looking at pictures of it all week, and I thought it was going to be massive. It's, it's, it's this big. But <laughs> when you see it on the screen, you're like, wow. I was like, oh. <laughs> but, it, you know, but it is, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And, and I was looking at it and saying, this is, this is a work of art. This is incredible. It's unique. It's like bespoke. And, and Jim's walking past in the auditorium. I'm saying, Jim, you've got to come and have a look at this. And, and Jim looks at the phone and he goes, wow. That is incredible. And, um, and this, this, you know, the, the service, second service, the first service was over, coffee break was over, and, um, and so I kind of like said goodbye to Rob and, uh, and went and sat down uh, ready for the second service. And that's when this phrase came uh, back into my head. Handcrafted, not factory produced. And... You know, I might be slow on the uptake, and I normally am, but this is the moment I just sense God speaking to me and, and trying to get my attention and speak to me about, you know, what he wants to talk to us about before we embark on a series uh, looking at the things that he cares about and, and why he cares so much about them. You see, that there's a difference between something that is handcrafted and something that is factory produced. You know, like Rob, I have got a coffee table that sits in my office. You know, it's this one. I paid six pounds for it in Ikea, you know. Um, I, you know and, but to be honest, you know, I, I went to Ikea. I got it from a warehouse. I think it was, well, it was aisle 21, shelf number 13. Uh, and I just kind of like picked the first one off the top of the pile because they're kind of all the same. You know, I didn't flick through them. Oh, that one looks nice. I took the, I took the first one. Um, but you see, I, I'm... I'm not particularly bothered about this table. You know, it sits in my office. It's, it's got a little chip on it somewhere just on the corner. I, I don't know how that happened. I don't particularly care that it happened. I'm not intending to fix it. You know, I'm not precious about it. You know, sometimes I use it as a stool to kind of fix a light bulb or something. I'm happy to jump up and down on it. That's absolutely fine. You know, if people have borrowed it from me, and I haven't been bothered about that. If people have borrowed it and, you know, given it back, you want to buy it? Yeah, whatever, have it. If someone steals it this morning, I'd just go and get myself another one. It was only six pounds, you know. If it breaks, then I'm, I'm just going to bin it, probably. 
and get another one. I'm really not very attached to it. But, but this one, this one's different. This one's had a lot of thought put into it, Rob's one. You know, Rob spent, he said, over 20 hours on it so far, and it's still not quite finished. And I asked Rob, you know, you could ask him, you know, can I have it? I think his answer would be, well, no, you can't have it. It's, it's mine. If I said, you know, this morning, I didn't ask you this, Rob, but if I said, could I, could I stand on it? Could I, could I, could I? Oh, you could feel him tense up like that. So I spent, you know, he's, doesn't want me to do that, you know. Um, if I had a sledgehammer, I nearly brought a sledgehammer with me. If I had a sledgehammer and I kind of like smashed it through the middle, I think he would be pretty upset about it because he's invested his time in it. It's handcrafted. It's unique. And as a result, he cares about it, how it's treated, what happens to it. If it gets damaged, he's likely to fix it rather than just kind of bin it. You know, the reason God cares so much about this world and what happens in this world is because it's not factory produced. It's not something that's just come about without any thought. It's been handcrafted by him. You know, on the very first pages of, of, of the Bible in Genesis, we get an account of how God, you know, the, the process God went through in creating creation. Right? Day one, it says he made light. And he saw that the light was good, and he separated it from the dark. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. You know, day two, he, he separated the waters, and the waters above he called sky. Day three, he kind of made the waters that were down below. He kind of got them all gathered together, and then he made dry ground appear. And he called the gathered waters sea, and he called the dry ground land. And then he put all sorts of vegetation on the land, seed-bearing plants of every single kind on the land. And day four, he, he makes the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And then it says, and he also created the stars. I love that uh, sense that you know, just created them. But the Bible goes on to say, actually, that every single Star is known and accounted for by God. He knows where they are, so not one of them is missing. Each single star is like handcrafted by God. Day five, he made the fish in the sea, the birds in the air. And then day six, he made land animals to fill the earth. You know, everything you see as you look across the earth and up into the sky is handcrafted by God. In Psalm 95, it says this, you know, in his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks, you know, belong to him. You know, there's a sense that, you know, when something is handcrafted by someone, it belongs to you. You, you own it. And Psalm goes on to say the sea is his. Why? Because he, he made it, it says. God has the right to point to everything and just go, mine, 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 mine mine. You know, it's all his. He created it all. Next week, we're going to look specifically at how God cares about what happens to the earth and the environment and all of creation. But before we look at everything around us that he cares about, I want us just to kind of zoom in on, on one thing, because everything stems from our understanding of this one thing that God handcrafted. You know, after making the earth and everything in it, the universe... We read this in Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 27, it says, And God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You know, that's got to be one of the most staggering sentences in the whole of the Bible. In effect, it's saying, God handcrafted you. He handcrafted me. We're not here, you know, because of the end of some sort of evolutionary factory that's currently churning out 350,000 human beings every day. No, you're created by God in his very image. And Genesis um, account of creation concludes by saying, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Not just okay, not just, you know, that will do, it's kind of functional, no, it was, it was very good, which includes humanity. It includes you, it includes his handcrafting of you and me. And one of my favorite psalms in the Bible is Psalm uh, 139. I love it because, you know, the, the writer is trying to imagine the craftsmanship that's involved in God creating humanity. And, and it, it says this, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them comes to be. God's craftsmanship is incredible. His attention to detail is, is breathtaking. You know, when talking to his disciples, Jesus once says this. He said, even the very hairs on your head are counted. You and I are not the result of some kind of bodget and legget job. Something that's just been put together randomly without any thought. Now, you are the end product of an intricate and deliberate work of God. And C.S. Lewis, who you know, most famously wrote the Narnia stories, he once said this, he said, we are a divine work of art. That's what you are. That's what I am. And, you know, I can stand here and, and look out, and everyone's different. But every, every one of you has got the same thing in common, and that is that you have been handcrafted by God, the Almighty. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, if Rembrandt's artistic masterpieces have great, undisputed value, would not God's one-of-a-kind human masterpiece convey even greater? And the answer is, yes, it would. Yes, it would. You are a masterpiece, a divine work of unimaginable value. You know, have you, sometimes you ever watch the Antiques Roadshow. Uh, I haven't seen it for a while, but, you know, I, I love the program. Uh, and and you, you get these beautiful moments sometimes when someone, you know, takes something along to the Antiques Roadshow, just kind of maybe they've got the cheap, they've got in their possession, and they're not, they just always wondered if it's worth anything. Like this guy, Richard Hobbs. <clears throat> and uh, this, is a, this was like 20-odd years ago, and, and his mum had got a load of silverware in the house. And, um, and Richard heard that the, um, in fact, it's in Crawley, in the whole theatre. And um, uh, 
So he's, he, he heard that um, the Antiques Roadshow was in town, and, and he said to his mum, you know, I might take some of that silverware up. And she said, yeah, I don't know what's worth it. Take it up. So he put it all in a bag and took it to the Antiques Roadshow. And he sat down with like an antiques expert, and he, he took out a silver bowl, and he put it on the table. And after inspecting it, the, the expert said, that is a very rare King Charles I drinking bowl. And I value that at 12,000 pounds. And he was like, wow. And you can watch it on YouTube. And he, he's like, well, I've got some more in here. And he tipped out some other bits onto the table. After the end of the valuation, he's staring at a set of silverware worth 350,000 pounds. This is 20 years ago. Goodness knows what it's worth now. Oh, it's amazing, you know. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he got home to see his mum, if he ever went home to see his mum. I suppose, oh, see you later. It's great, you know. You know, was it worth anything, love? You are not going to believe this, mum. It's worth more than we could ever imagined. I had absolutely no idea of the value of the items in their possession, gathering dust in the corner of the room. You know, you and I are worth more than we can imagine. You might think, yeah, me, a masterpiece of great worth, I don't think so. If only you knew me, you know, you'd, I don't have any particular skills or giftings, I'm not that talented, you know. No one's ever honked their horn at me going down the road, you know. No, no one's ever stopped me and go, wow, look at you. Master, masterpiece, I don't think so. Average at best. Our problem often is that we often live completely unaware of our true value. We think we're more Ikea than handcrafted, more kind of toddler's artwork than Rembrandt. Masterpiece. But God, who made you, knows your true worth and longs for us to see his valuation of us. And the Bible's very clear. Because you are his masterpiece, handcrafted, by him. He cares for you. And that care is kind of evident in the lengths that he's willing to go to protect you, preserve you, fix you, defend you, because you are unique and you belong to him. And in trying to help us to understand the extent of God's care for us, often the Bible refers to him as a, as a shepherd. You know, a shepherd is someone that doesn't just kind of look after someone else's sheep, but a shepherd is someone who, who owns the sheep. The, the sheep belong to him, and, and therefore he has a kind of like a vested interest in their care because he knows their true value. And King David, in, in the Bible, you can read about it in the Old Testament, he's kind of like the king of Israel, but before he was the king, he was a shepherd. You know, he, he spent years like tending sheep, so he had first-hand experience of, of what was involved in caring for sheep. And then one day he, he writes this about God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. And it's an incredible image of God's care for us. You know, because we belong to him, David is, is saying he wants to meet our needs. He wants to lead us. He wants to restore us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to be with us in difficult times, just like a shepherd. He knows your value. He knows my value, and he's got a vested interest 
in your care. And often when we think of shepherds, we you know, reflect on verses like this about God, and we imagine kind of a lovely scene of a couple of sheep following a shepherd in a beautiful countryside. But there's this time when David kind of recalls what it was actually involved in being a shepherd, and he, he recalls a time when a kind of a lion or a bear, he says, would come and carry off a sheep from the flock, and he would go after it, he said, and he would strike it and rescue the sheep from its mouth. And then he would turn and seize the animal and strike it again and again and kill it. Now, this was not just kind of an isolated occasion in, in David's life. He talks about both killing a lion and a bear. In other words, you know, a shepherd would risk their life for what belongs to him. And this is the image David uses for the way in which God cares for us. Now, Jesus himself in the Gospels, he, he tells a story uh, about a, a shepherd, and he says to a group of people listening to him, he says, I suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and, and, and one of them gets lost. You lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open countryside and, and go and find the lost sheep? And, and when he finds it, doesn't he kind of put it on his shoulders and joyfully go home? You know, when something valuable belongs to you. Just like sheep to a shepherd, you will protect it at whatever the cost. If you have something that you've invested in deeply and it gets lost, you'll do whatever you can to make sure that it's found. You know, you and I are divine works of art, handcrafted by God, and therefore we're incredibly valuable to him. Our problem has always been that we don't understand who we are, and the value God places on us. Like sheep, we're, we're stupid. And we, and we wander off, and in the process of wandering off and getting lost, we get hurt and damaged, and we become broken. And we settle for things in life that, you know, are just factory-produced rather than handcrafted. But because God made us with his own hands to bear his own image, and because we belong to him, He's not unaffected by our brokenness and the extent that we're lost. You know, John 3, 16, famous verse in the Bible, says this, for God so loved, so cared for the world that he gave his one and only son. And when Jesus arrives, his, his intention is, is very clear. He, he's come to find what is lost and fix what he handcrafted that has become broken. And the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' life and ministry are littered with example after example of him not just kind of teaching people, but restoring the broken. You know, when, when John the Baptist kind of sends a few of his followers to, to discover, to, to ask Jesus, you know, are you the Messiah? In other words, are, are you the Son of God? Are you God? Jesus' response to them is to say, you know, go tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's a fascinating response. You know, Jesus, God, you know, John wants to know, are you God? Are you, are you the Messiah? And his response is, well, go tell him I'm fixing things that are broken. And time and time again, Jesus' care is not just for crowds, but it's for individuals. He intervenes when he sees a cripple 
sitting by the side of the road, a, a woman who's just about to be stoned for being caught in adultery, a, a parent who's broken because they've just lost their child. And his intention is always not just to speak to them, but to fix them. But Jesus knew that our real brokenness was more than skin deep. It was the fact that we're lost, unaware of who we are, who made us, and therefore what our value is. Now to one crowd, he says, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. To another crowd, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And on the cross, that's what he did. He sacrificed his life for our own sake. He paid in full to fix what had broken, for masterpieces like you and I to be restored to their full glory. Why? Simply because God cares about us. Because we're handcrafted by him. We're not factory produced. And, I, and on, on Monday, I'm, I'm, I'm sat trying to you know, work out how to, how, to, how to get across you know, the extent of God's care for us this morning. And again, I'm stumbling around. I'm, you know, I, really, I really want to try and impress on us and help us to kind of see with fresh eyes God's care for us. And I'm going to try to do this and I get a table and, you know, but it's still not quite cutting it. I, and I'm praying to God. I'm saying, God, I, I just really, really need your help to kind of say something about your care for us. And um, and my phone's next to me, and I pick it up because I'm, I'm, I'm easily distracted. I'm easily distracted. And I pick it up, and I, I notice I've got a message uh, on my phone, um, you know, on a WhatsApp group uh, that I haven't looked at yet. Uh, and so I, I kind of pick it up, and I pick it up, and I, I, look, at the, I look at the message. And, and what I see is, is a photo that's been sent around to the group. Uh, and with the, with the message, look what I found. Can you guess who it is? And this image is of a kind of 19-year-old young man. He's, he's half naked. Uh, he's slouched at the end of a bed. For some reason, he's wearing tights. Now, he's clearly got a drink in his hand. It's not his first or his second or his third. He looks pretty wasted. And I, I look at it, and I look at the image, and, and I'm staring at it, and I know at once who this young man is. It's me. It's me. With this title across it, look what I've just found. Can you guess what it is yet? It blurred it out a little bit, so it was difficult to see, but it was... It was clearly me, and as I looked at it, I was overwhelmed by a reminder of a time in my life when I was completely lost. A handcrafted work of God that had become pretty broken, desperate to be valued, but looking in all the wrong places. And I hadn't seen an image like this of myself in like 20 years, and and it was weird because I was looking at someone that I, I vaguely recognized that, but wasn't me anymore. It was almost like God chose this moment when I'm trying to express something 
of his care to show it to me. And I didn't feel he was showing it to me to kind of, you know, point fun and go, look, look at that. Huh? Look what a mess you are. Because he's not like that. He doesn't do that. But what I believe is God wanted me to see it with a message. Look what I found. Can you guess who it is? As a reminder to me of his incredible care. The lengths he's prepared to go to find and fix, you know, what he's made. And I, I picked up my phone and I messaged back to the group, you know, a number of them, not Christians. And I said, it looks like a glimpse of someone that I once knew that was pretty lost. I heard he was rescued. Restored. Adopted. So now the son of a king. Son of a king. Who would have expected that to happen to him? What does God care about? Well, the answer is he cares about you. He cares about me. You know, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't feel like a masterpiece. If only you knew what I was like. The point is, God does know what you like. You know, just like me, he's, he's seen you at your worst. But you're not Ikea. You're handcrafted, bespoke. You're a work of art, a divine work of art, which means he cares about your brokenness. He cares about the small chips and the big chips, the cracks and, and how they happened. He cares enough not just to discard you, but instead to work on you and to make you new. I'd love us to pray and respond together in a minute, but um, my story is not the only story of that happening. You know, all around the room, there are stories of God rescuing things that are broken and fixing them. And I was up in the, the prayer room earlier, and there's this kind of wall in the prayer. We've had a a prayer space for the last week where people have been able to come in any time of the day or night and pray. And, and there's people, things people had written all over the walls. And, and, uh, and I just had a look at them this morning. And there's one wall which just says, you know, you know when, did, when were you rescued, I think? Or, or when, did you become, when, did God, when did you become found by God? And it's just littered with stories like mine. Let me show you some of them. This is one that just says, I was baptized 10 years ago this weekend. There's another one that says, I was saved, delivered from drugs and near homelessness. There's another one that says, 47 years ago, at the age of 16, thank you for believing school friends. Another one says, five years old in a children's meeting. That was 41 years ago. God is faithful. He hears our prayers. Another one. Five years ago, on a bus, on the way to college. 54 years ago, a grandmother and her family friends were praying for my family. God has kept me through many heartaches, and he is faithful. 14 years ago, just after uni, there must be more to life than this. I thought, thank you, God, there is so much more. 
10 months ago I was saved. 19 years ago. 15 years and I've never looked back. God has been faithful throughout, even when I haven't been. Thank you, Jesus. I met a domestic violence counselor in a safe place, which happened to be Home Coffee House, which is here. I decided to go on Alpha, and now I'm very proud to belong to TKC, King's Church. Becoming a Christian has changed my life completely. Thank you, Jesus. You are handcrafted, not factory produced. And because of that, God cares for you and is not unaware of your brokenness. And in his great mercy, he sacrifices himself so that your brokenness can be fixed. So that you can display the glory of God once again. Why don't we stand and we're going to worship him?